And I thought we would relive a few moments of Jonah's life. Um, But I thought I'd do it in a slightly different way. And instead of maybe approaching it from a Christadelphian angle, I would approach it from a secular angle. So that is, reading reading those chapters as if somebody, maybe not even a Christian, and what they could perceive as the lessons from Jonah. And I hope those lessons will be uh, very spiritual and very valuable for us. I've chosen to do that because I, I felt that maybe given your Bible class that you had before, maybe it would be a slightly better way of approaching it. So we've got a lot of symbols in Jonah, <clears throat> which we won't explain because we don't need to here, but we have the symbols of the sea, you know, the, the, the multitude of people, the nations. We have uh, you know, the, the idea of, of a, a murmuring brook, don't we? A babbling brook. I used to live not far from Arsenal Football Stadium, and I remember how the thousands of clapping and whistling supporters sounded like a, a storm with waves breaking and washing forwards and backwards. So we've got the idea of boats as well, of fellows in a ship responsible for each other, pulling together, rowing together for a common cause. And we have the idea of baptism, of course, that death and resurrection, passing from black hopelessness into renewed life. So those are some of the, th- some of the things to look out for. So Jonah gets a call from God, and God tells him that there's a city that's fallen into disarray. And all cultures are always falling into disarray. As the world changes... <laughs> cultures fall behind. They're not able to keep up, and so there's disorder. That's one of the only strong rules we know of. Everything always tends to disorder. So the individual always plays a part in this relationship between themselves and culture. We're always witnessing disarray, and we're always in opposition to it. We have a choice about what we do with this disorder. We can either do nothing and let the corruption continue. Or we can be corrupt as well, go along with it, and then everything gets more corrupt. So I think the answer has to be that we should oppose the corruption, not in the sense of opposing evil, but in the sense of being the change we'd like to see, as we famously heard from one of our poets. Not by being confrontational, but by setting an example. And we remember the Bible says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Or you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies as well and pray for those who persecute you. So God threatens to destroy the city because of this corruption. You know, the more corrupt the society, the less productive. We see that in our own society. We see that in a communist society, don't we? Or progressive societies. The more corrupt the society, the less likely people are to work because the less power they have over obtaining and keeping hold of their wealth. We see criminal activity in South Africa, terrible corruption there, genocide going on. People are retreating. They're no longer taking an active part in the workforce. So the more productive, the, the less productive the more corrupt. Those two things go together. And so we see the city of Nineveh on its way to destruction. Jonah says, I don't want to go. I I don't want to go and 
witness to this corrupt society. Why should I? What does it have to do with me? He's still at home and hasn't left yet. And he's thinking to himself, this compassionate and gracious and merciful and loving God will probably let them off anyway. And I'll look like a a fool going there and preaching punishment when it will never happen. He says, take away my life. I'd rather not go there and suffer the indignity and the embarrassment of witnessing for you, only to have it not happen. Jonah thinks more highly of his own comfortable life than the potential inconvenience of preaching to a city miles away who doesn't know anyone, has no family, they're not even his own people, and he has to get there via a hazardous sea journey. He's sitting pretty. A Hebrew, a prophet of God, he knows he's okay. Who are these others that I have to leave my home to help? He can't bear that idea of being embarrassed for God. It's nothing to do with him anyway. So, you know, he jumps on a ship and goes to Tarshish, which is incidentally on the opposite side of the world, is it not? As far away as he could possibly get from God. If you're sailing along the Mediterranean and you go out through the Straits of Gibraltar and look ahead of you, you see just boundless ocean, you know, unexplored territory in the Atlantic at that time. So you don't go in that direction. You go in an easier direction. You go towards Tarshish, where everybody else has gone. You know, it's a place where you can trade. It's a safer route. Maybe you go so far that God gives up on you, and he might choose someone else instead. It's exactly what we're facing in today's society, in our relationships, in our, in our jobs, in our families. We face constant interaction with people who aren't treating us quite right. They're playing games, aren't they? We're being opposed in some sense. So what do we do about this? What did Jonah do about it? Do we step up and make our beliefs known and walk into the city? (laughs) No, generally not. We're very politically correct. We keep our views to ourselves. We don't want to cause trouble. We get out of there, just like he did, and go the safest route to the furthest place away. But yet, wherever you go, there you are. You can't escape yourself. You're still there in your life, at work, in that relationship. You can't run away like Jonah did, not in the way he did. You can't just go along with it, though. You're still in your relationships. You're still witnessing the corruption, the games, the power plays at work, the backbiting, the snide remarks, the gossiping. You're witnessing all of that. You can't go along with it, but you can't escape either, not like he did. What do you do? Well, you know, if they were just to leave, the gossipers, the backbiters, the people that were corrupt, everything would be okay after that. Why don't they leave? The last conversation you had with them didn't go well after all. Maybe they're even bullies or despise you. This is our story, isn't it? The story of how we approach opposition and corruption. It's the story of all human beings. We're in a place where things seem to be going okay. And things seem to be working out pretty well for us. And something happens. A storm brews up and it knocks you off balance and you fall. You quickly end up in this chaotic place. You have to reach rock bottom before you're able to emerge. And after you've emerged, it's not really you, is it? It's a a better you, perhaps, with stronger resolve, but also a you which is wiser. 
So the problem Jonah's got is that the command of God, we read, is not a request. It's not, it's Jonah's destiny, as it were, to obey and to disobey his own feelings. After all, Jonah didn't want to go. The command that God gave him was hard. It was necessary, though, for him to go and oppose the corruption in that city, to witness against it. So God sends a wind, and it threatens to tear the ship apart. But Jonah goes below. No help from Jonah. Despite the danger and the frantic actions of the terrified crew, throwing everything they cared about most overboard, Jonah's down in the bowels of the ship in a deep sleep. Who knows, maybe he's so faithful he doesn't worry about the storm, but it's far more likely he's in deep sleep of obstinate depression. Despite the violence of the waves God has prepared, Jonah still isn't going to budge. He wants to die anyway, after all. It's far better to die down there than go to the effort of fighting the storm. Who knows, maybe surviving, getting to Nineveh, and then going through all that embarrassment after that. No thanks. Jonah doesn't care about that life. So God confirms his actions and he is in this deep sleep, this metaphor for a kind of living death to go along with the death wish that he has. But the captain isn't having any of it. He forces him to wake up and we can imagine him dousing Jonah's face with water. Wake up and call upon your God before we all die, we hear him say. Whatever Jonah had decided about rejecting God's calling, it was clear that those around him knew that there was potentially a need for Jonah and his God. And it's now that Jonah gets a foretaste of the meaning of having a relationship with his God. And to see who is responsible, they draw straws and Jonah gets the short one. Who are you and what have you done? I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, my God is in control of all of this. We read in Luke 21, On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea, and people will be fainting from terror and apprehension of what's coming next on the world. So those around us, getting spiritual for a moment, will want to know who we are. They all know who we are, but they've never really thought about it. And the two sobering thoughts about that, as we have been accidentally witnessing to our friends perhaps, is that when the world gets it so wrong that we're on the border of no life existing, no flesh will survive, we won't be there. We won't be able to witness to them then. God will take us away from it. The chance to help those that are around us, as Jonah had these people around him, will be gone. But we see the signs of coming violence now, and it's now that our voices should be heard especially to those who can perhaps appreciate that something bad is happening. You, you meet them at the bus stops, you meet them at work, you meet them in schools. People are aware that something terrible is, is going on. You know, common sense people. Fine, so they might not believe you. Jesus coming back. Fine, so it might be embarrassing. Fine, it might be uncomfortable. It might be out of our comfort zone. They're not like us, after all. They've got different gods. And we don't know what to say, and God might save them anyway. But let's not run away from that responsibility. Jonah did. He asked to be thrown overboard, and they don't want to do it. 
They can't understand the link there. Instead, they row like crazy, uselessly towards the shore, against the towering waves until they're all exhausted. And they have to ask themselves, shall we do it? Reluctantly, they beg God that he doesn't hold it against them. And they toss Jonah into the ocean. And it's now that he wonders why he ran. Or is he still resigned to death? He's rejected his destiny. He is off that map. His life has no meaning at the moment. And he's up against God who won't let him off the hook. Who knows, perhaps he doesn't care if he dies. When God abandons you, it's because you've abandoned your destiny. The purpose he chose for you. And the storms come up. And the probability that you're going down to the depths is high. It happens to us all the time. And so a specially prepared fish comes along. Not a whale, but a a specially prepared fish. Swallows him whole and he's in there for three days. And in this belly, this darkness, in this state of internal chaos, totally unknown territory, he has no idea what to do. It's pitch black and dead still. It's not clear what this monster in the dark is going to do with him. Will he rot there painfully or will he stay alive there beneath the water? This predator came from a place that Jonah didn't know and he's being taken somewhere that he doesn't know down. And Jonah in his weakness, now that things have really fallen apart and he's reached rock bottom, the roots of the mountains as we read, nothing, no job, no family, no relationships, nothing he valued at all. So what do you do in that situation? This place of your own choosing, as it were. Not death. Somewhere off the map. Somewhere where you have abandoned God. A place where you've got to by not listening to the call of God. What do you do? You examine yourself. Your choices that you've made. And you think. If you run from yourself, the waters start to rise around you. You realise that when God calls, you answer. And a coward is one who doesn't obey his conscience. If you decide to rise up and go back and renew your life, if you're given a chance, stop avoiding, stop fearing, and do what's right, because it's right. Sometimes it's just time to accept we've been betraying ourselves. And so Jonah says... Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And this time, when God asks him, Jonah goes into the massive city, a day's journey, a commitment halfway almost, nearly dead centre of where he should be, and we're told it's a beginning. So what comes out of this chaos of the deep is a new person ready to submit to his destiny, or at least someone who's better, in better shape than before. Every time you go down and come back up, you are slightly refined, slightly more like the person you should be and slightly less the person you were. And no sooner has Jonah started warning everybody about the judgment to come, but everybody believes him, starts fasting, and they even make their animals do the same. And we might ask why they believed him. Maybe stories travelled quickly. Maybe they'd heard about this funny whale man who denied God but was given another start. We might well ask, why would they believe this story? 
And yet, here we are, 2,500 years later, reading words off a page about a man who couldn't accept God's purpose for him. How the storm only stopped when he gave in and how he had to reach rock bottom before things started getting better. How when you get that call and you have purpose in life, it's wise to answer. And somehow it makes sense to us and we can learn from him too. It's weird though that we don't see fishes in our minds that can swallow people up. We don't need to have that image. We don't even know really what Nineveh looked like. We can't really imagine it. We have just a very dim awareness of all of these things, but we get it. We get it. Let your conscience be king in your life. Live the way you're called to live and don't push away your purpose. If you do, you'll spend spectacular amounts of time off the map, floundering around in the dark until you rise up and emerge again. Jonah ran away so hard and so fast that God had to snap him back. And in a way, that gave Jonah the certainty he'd been lacking through faith all that time. It's a lesson for us sometimes. We perhaps feel if we... How do we begin each day? How do you live a perfect day? What's my purpose today? What should my decisions be with everything that I have? With all the capacity and capability I have, what should I do? And so it's easier to <coughs> run away and expect to be disciplined and get that little, little sense of direction there. But Jonah had more to learn. He had obeyed God in his self-righteousness. He felt special. He was one of the chosen ones. And he believed that gave him the right to pronounce judgment on others. When you see a criminal, so the theory goes, there is a person that can be judged. He prepared a comforting shelter for himself and sat down to watch God's judgment on the other. In the east, probably down, probably upwind, uh, a place where he could oversee, overlook the whole city. It's rather like a cinema, isn't it? Life hadn't been easy for him. He'd had to suffer so much to emerge a better person. Why do some people have it so easy? Not this time. They were guilty and their dressing in plain clothes and fasting wasn't going to save them. But Jonah's self-comforting shelter was not good enough because he began to feel discomfort and God made a leafy plant go up over him to provide shade. And so our hero felt pretty smug. A miraculous plant, God's with me. This green new life, new beginnings, provision of blessings, he mistook for a confirmation that his personal attitudes were correct as well. Not God's mercy and giving him that relationship. All it took was a a caterpillar to take this unstable man from happiness to sadness. And I was thinking earlier that caterpillars are greedy by definition. They hide in the dark they eat without reference to the bigger picture. They don't even know what they could become. If stability is measured by the rules by which you live, rather than by truth and reality, then as we saw earlier, it won't be long before the downward cycle happens again. Jonah here is a rather childlike person who was ironically annoyed that God was too compassionate. A man who wasn't able to make the transition from justice to mercy, from law to love, from guilt to forgiveness, will always be limited. And all that resentment he felt, having to preach a message of punishment to a people he feared God would forgive anyway, broke over him like a wave, and he became angry at the thought of all these people jeering at him. You said, 
We approach reality. When we approach reality, we should do it with no ego. If we want to get to know this God that calls us or to appreciate reality, it must be with humility. As we read in Ecclesiastes some time ago, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and acknowledging the Holy One is understanding. In secular terms, appreciating reality cannot come until you've emptied yourself. Because without respect for a reality greater than ourselves, we'll never be able to appreciate it. A small anecdote, really, about this bigger picture that Jonah couldn't appreciate was I was behind the scenes at the Royal Opera House a couple of weeks ago, and there was upstairs in a large, quiet room uh, ten uh, women, ten ladies, all busily sewing carefully on Taylor's dummies. And everywhere around me were racks of labelled costumes, uh, big bins full of material carefully labelled by the name of the show and the character and the scene and the person. Everywhere was evidence of careful attention to detail, meticulous planning and a high level of orchestration. Imagine the chaos if everybody expressed anger at that plan. Nobody wanted to do what they were asked. You know, we're just individuals coming up against reality in all of its glory. When orchestrating the saving of a very large number of people, harsh judgmentalism of the plan or an egotistical sense of fairness isn't required. And the lesson of Jonah, therefore, is if you don't want to hit rock bottom before you bounce back, say yes when you're called, get up and go into the city, and when you've done your bit, what happens next isn't your concern. The question, though, is how do we do that? One thing's for sure, when we're talking internally to ourselves, trying to decide how to be the best we can be, listen to the small voice. Listen to the voice you would rather skate over, that invisible, voiceless voice, drowned out by the noise. We have to struggle with ourselves to hear that voice every day, to nurture it and to feed it. If you find yourself becoming fearful about getting up and going into the city, remember, if you're fighting your destiny and your purpose and your calling, you're playing a part in your own demise. And it will be you that kicks yourself when you're down. It may take you years to get back on track, as it has done me. I have no, uh, I have no desire, really, to, to tell you all my faults. But it's taken me about 20 years since my teenage years, to really feel back that I have the faith that I did then. And I've learned the lessons all the hard way. If only I had taken on board these very simple lessons of, of accepting the calling <coughs> when you're called. So if you go easy on yourself, and if you find that fear and accept that, just stop and ask why that fear is what you should use as your motivation. Why shouldn't you instead focus on the fear and and look back in your past and untie those knots? What's stopping me from doing what my conscience says? Why am I not going into the city and ask for help if we need it? The next question is, how how much do we each need to follow these lessons? And I think the answer is a lot, all the time, without stopping. It seems a little odd to some, but on this table now, in just a couple of 
symbols is the entire purpose of God. To save all of those who want to hear his voice. A man who struggled to live each day according to the still small voice inside him. A man who never ceased to get up and go into the city. And a man who did it come what may.